Welcome to the Mental Health Business Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Margot Jaco. Are you a clinician looking to find the balance between providing compassionate client care and business agility? This show will help with things you need to know to start or grow your practice and better serve your clients. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us today. So glad, as always, to have you with us. And today I have our frequent co-host, Deanna Shoss of Intercultural Talk, and our fabulous producer, Chris Pertel. Well, you're both fabulous. That's not, you're both really amazing. And I couldn't do many, many of the things I'm doing without you. So good morning to both of you. Good morning. Good morning. Delighted to be here. So, you know, folks, we have talked, we've talked about so many things over the last uh, several months, and we were kind of thinking as a team about what has happened this year. We're about two-thirds of the way through the year, and thinking about, well, what has occurred? You know, I, I don't know about you two, but I certainly feel as a therapist and as a practice owner that I am doing more and more scrambling, trying to keep up with the changes that are happening. You know, we're we're in the process of trying to rent a couple of new spaces in some new, ge- you know, geographic areas. That has been a brand new animal. I've been renting commercial space for I don't know thirty years, and all of a sudden it's this thing that I don't recognize. And then trying to keep up with trends with insurance companies or issues with insurance companies. Again, just you know, I hate the word unprecedented. It got used so much, but it's like everything COVID touched is now a new animal that we as practice owners have to figure out what this new animal is. So we thought we would take some time today to talk about those things. So that's where we're going to begin. So Deanna, you and I were chatting a little bit, but I want to turn it over to you. What questions do you have? I'm curious how practice owners, how you as representative are helping practice owners are deciding the balance between teletherapy and bricks and mortar. In some ways, it was a lot easier when the rules were clear. You can't be in person. So you switch to teletherapy. But now both for your clinicians and your your clients, some want to be in person, some still want to be online. How are you navigating going back to teletherapy, bricks and mortar? And what are you seeing as the trends of the balance between those two? Yeah, I'm so glad we're talking about this, Deanna, because this is what I'm hearing from a lot of practice owners that I'm doing consultation with, trying to figure out how to meet these needs. How do we make our space, our space that we're paying for, make sense while still having some folks be hybrid or a lot of the time being online doing telehealth? So here's a couple of things that come to mind. You know, it's how do we make the decision? Are we going to do more in person? Who? When are we going to do in person? There are two things that are driving that. One is, of course, the requests that we receive. Prior to, and I think when we talked about this in January, it was still a lot of telehealth. Most of the calls we were getting were for telehealth services. And one thing that has evolved for us, and I think for other folks that I've talked to over this calendar year, is that more and more clients are calling and saying, we would like in-person services. And we have a lot of our staff, and this is true for a lot of practice owners who are saying, either I don't feel comfortable or it doesn't make sense because I have so many clients right now who are not wanting in person. So here's what we did. We hired several people 
who are now interested in doing in-person services. They're doing a hybrid as well. But I figured it seems like a good investment to make sure that we have people who can be on site. And if people are not comfortable and they want to be telehealth from a financial perspective as a business owner, it is cheaper for me to have somebody not be in person. That's actually fascinating, Margo. So what you're saying is as a hiring consideration, now whether someone wants to work in person or teletherapy is a question because when restrictions were were more in place, you hired people specifically who only wanted to do teletherapy. That's right. Right. But now we're having to do the opposite. So yes, it is a hiring consideration. And my suggestion would be for folks, obviously you need to pay attention to who's calling, who is your population, and how do you meet those needs? There are some practices, especially those that serve children, who have been needing to be in person much sooner than everybody else. But yes, it's a hiring consideration. I tell people all the time, what does it cost you? Do the numbers. We're going to have, you know, we just had that episode. But what does it cost you to have somebody do teletherapy for you? It's a very different cost than if you have somebody do in-person work. So it is a hiring consideration. So yes, I would say ultimately, we, things are so different now. More and more people are seeking in-person services. That's a big change in just eight months' time. So now we're having to rethink, how are we going to make that happen? There's another consideration. The other consideration is there are more and more, and we're going to talk more about this, folks, in a moment, what are called self-funded plans. There are basically two different kinds of insurance plans that you may get as an employee. Because in the United States, our insurance is very much driven by where we work. So for example, we at the practice, we have a, a commercial policy that is underwritten and funded by the insurance. The insurance company pays out. the And so people's premiums, all of that pays for the services. That's, that's how that works. The other kind of plan is called self-funded. So a self-funded plan is a plan where the employer pays for whatever claim comes across their desk. So larger companies often will use self-funded plans. It's actually cheaper for them. They can design the plan in any way they want, and there are fewer regulations. So a couple things with that. First, that's a good transition into insurance because just closing out our first subject, what you're saying is in person and we were always only in person, then pandemic happened and suddenly we were only teletherapy, telehealth. And now what you're saying is the bottom line is it's going to be both ongoing for, you know, for the foreseeable future because you're going to have both clinicians and clients who want both. Now that transition to insurance is critical because a lot of rules changed with insurance to help make teletherapy, telehealth much easier. And now those rules are changing back. So re-looking at your insurance right now is huge. That all leads me to the question, and I'm a good host or a co-host on this because I, I never get insurance. I think it's all written purposely to be completely confusing. <laughs> yeah, right. So so one part I don't get when you talk about self-funded insurance and the company owners actually funding it, where's their actually money coming in though from insurance? Because if you're funding it, I'm not understanding how that works where you're getting reimbursed. 
Well, the insurance company then just manages it. They don't fund it, but they're the ones who take care of all of the claims. So the reason that that's significant and that it ties into bricks and mortar or telehealth is that self-funded plans do not have to follow the same guidelines. They aren't subject to the same regulatory issues. So a self-funded plan can say, we don't want to offer telehealth at all. We just don't think it's useful. We think in-person services are better and they can do that. In the state of Illinois, there is legislation saying, guess what, folks? Um, you ha- if you offer medical care through telehealth, you have to offer mental health care through telehealth. With self-funded plans, that is not the case. Self-funded plans are not subject to that regulation. There's also something in the state of Illinois called the Illinois Department of Insurance, the Illinois Department of Insurance, if, if let's say I'm due a payment from an insurance company and they have not responded at all in the last 30 days, which is what the law states, I can call the Illinois Department of Insurance and say, X insurance company is not responding to me. Or they are asking for, you know, it's an undue burden, the amount of time and energy they're asking me and the, the amount of proof of service or whatever. I, I can make a complaint. Self-funded plans are not regulated by the Illinois Department of Insurance. So that's a big deal. It is a big deal. However, I know I just said that I don't get insurance and sometimes think insurance is about, you know, insurance companies making lots of money. But now that you're talking about self-funded plans and not being under regulation, so there's a couple of questions there. One is, how does that prevent individual companies with not coming up with rules that are discriminatory? That's why regulation happened, because people were saying, we're going to cover this, not that. Or So mm-hmm. how do it you decide? Um, and then <laughs> they can be discriminatory now. But you're saying they're actually better for company owners. How does and then they're better for company owners because you can cover more things or. Well, they're better. So some would argue. And I would argue, too, there is a benefit to company owners because company owners can dictate more of what of what the coverage will look like as a mental health provider. Frequently, one of the first things to go is mental health coverage or telehealth coverage. You know, it used to be like pregnancy benefits, you know, maternity benefits. That was a biggie that could, you know, go out the window quickly. The things that tend to be more expensive and what unfortunately some of these larger companies who have self-funded plans forget to look at is, oh my gosh, if you really provide very comprehensive mental health care, you have far fewer missed days of work. You have far fewer medical complaints. It really serves the employer. However, it makes a big difference as a practice owner. I need to know how much of the, how many of the folks that I'm working with how many of our referrals coming in are asking for telehealth, but they can't have telehealth because it's not covered. Those sorts of things are going to drive my decision making. I just realized where I had this wrong. When you said self-funded, I was thinking about you, the Juniper Center, having an insurance plan that was self-funded. And that's why I was like, wait, how are you getting reimbursement? You're talking about a big corporation that rather than buying insurance, let's say from Blue Cross Blue Shield or some of the others, they do a self-funded plan. So then they decide what benefits their companies get. You know, what's interesting about that. So now 
Wait, like, wait, what's that, Roseanne, Roseanne, Dana? Never mind. So let me just completely change. <laughs> my redo that. Yeah. Let me redo my line of questioning then. What's interesting is there's this whole drive. I don't know if you know, there's been studies from, it was Edelman did a study that showed that as trust in government is going down, trust in business to solve the problems of the world is actually going up. So this idea of self-funded plans is really interesting right now because employees are making decisions about companies based on what they stand for, how they care for their employees, how inclusive they are. And so something like a self-funded insurance plan, which, like you said, could automatically say that, of course, mental health is a number one priority. That is really interesting. And you could see them where companies, it's a benefit to their employees to have a good insurance. For you as a practice owner, what are the reimbursement rates like? Are they the same? Are they comparable, higher, lower? Yeah, the reimbursement rates are typically the same. But here is where, as a practice owner, it becomes more complicated. There are um, sort of clearinghouse services. I'm not going to name any particular company, but there's a one major clearinghouse service in particular that many practices will use, many providers will use, so that they can can verify benefits. So they can see, does somebody have a valid plan? Is their plan active? What is their coverage? With some regularity, that information is just wrong. It's just wrong. And that is complicated because then we start seeing a client, we submit a claim, and then we find out they have no coverage or their coverage lapsed or the coverage we thought they had, they don't have because we got it off of this service. So what does that mean as a practice owner? I have to employ people now in order to keep from having those kinds of issues. I need to hire people who are calling and verifying benefits. I'm also encouraging clients, you call and you verify your benefits. So the idea of trying to get a sense of what is the coverage really has become so complicated. So the coverage may be the same, but boy, if I have thought that I was dealing with somebody who had a commercial plan and they have no telehealth coverage and I start offering telehealth and it turns out that it's a self-funded plan, what do I do then? Often I might have to transfer out that particular client if I'm a practice that doesn't have somebody who can see them in person. So that's a big cost to a practice. And it's super important, folks. This is just my two cents to you. Doing that work on the front end, I know it's much quicker to hop onto the service where you can just try to verify the benefits quickly. Having the client make a phone call, you make a phone call will save you a lot of time and energy in the end. But because more and more companies are seeing the benefit, big companies are seeing the benefit of getting a self-funded plan. This is becoming a much bigger trend. It used to be smaller. It was like, you know, unions had self-funded plans. They were health and welfare plans. Meh. Health and welfare plans do not offer telehealth. That's a problem. You know, as the city of Chicago, we very much appreciate that we get several people who come to us who are City of Chicago employees, City of Chicago is self-funded. They don't allow for couples therapy at all. And they can say that. They can say, no, we're just not going to do it. So telehealth is limited. You have to have, you know, you have to call every 10 sessions to get new verification. So there is just a lot more time and energy. This is a huge trend. Much more time and energy this year to make sure that we have an accurate verification 
of benefits, and that takes staff. Okay, Margaret, I'm going to need you to go back to, because there's an assumption underlying everything you're saying, which is it's a good idea to take insurance because half the people that are listening just heard all that and said, God, I'm so glad I don't offer insurance, you know, because it is so complicated. Right. So could you actually just, just give us an idea though? Cause there was a big article in the Tribune last weekend that just saying it's harder and harder for people to find clinicians who will take insurance. You know, I would say that that's really critical because mental health is physical health, but can you just chime in on that? Why is it important or why would you encourage practice owners to accept insurance to begin with? Well, the and I think the article, if anybody didn't read it, it's in the Chicago Tribune from last Sunday, August 21st. So if you can hop online and look, it really is about how hard it is in the United States for clients to find, potential clients to find providers who accept insurance for these reasons. I mean, insurance companies like everybody else, I sit on a committee that interfaces with Blue Cross Blue Shield, for example. Everybody faced the great resignation. They are woefully understaffed. Everybody has the same issue. So it has become harder and harder to get credentialed. It's harder and harder to get payments, you know, get things resolved. It's just a lot more time and energy. That said, the article also talks about the number one reason we accept insurance and everybody I know accepts insurance is it increases access. There are so many folks who just don't have the cash. That's just pretty simple. It really increases access. So that's great. And if you can have a well-oiled machine, a good system that can work with the insurance and you have enough staffing to do it, it can also really increase the number of referrals that you're going to get. So it makes a lot of sense. That said, I also understand the people who have dropped insurance. It is hard. We used to have one person. We now have a full-time dedicated team of three people. Now, we're a larger practice. One of those people is all she does is verify benefits. I have one full-time person verifying benefits. I have another person, our billing manager, who spends most of her day on the phone trying to get resolution to a claims issue. Now, practices where, you know, if I'm an independent practitioner, I have a, an automated electronic health re record system. I feel like it's pretty easy. I just press a button at the end of the day and my claims go in and the money comes back. But then when there's a problem, this is something that I've noticed on listservs of practice owners. There are a number of practice owners who have just thrown in the towel. It's another trend. So we're looking at changes in, do we have bricks and mortar? Who is seeing people in person? We've seen a change in trend in more self-funded plans. And we're also now seeing a trend of practice owners saying, I have had it. And there are a couple of reasons why practice owners are doing that. One is insurance has become so difficult, right? It's become just so complicated to deal with. Reimbursement rates have not gone up appreciably since 2015. That is a long time. Cost of living has gone up. You know, this is another reason why people don't want to accept insurance. Cost of living goes up. My rent goes up. All of my other expenses go up. If anything, our reimbursement rates go down, which is why then we have to do more volume. But for a small practice or an independent practitioner, they're sitting there. You still have the same 20, 25 hours in a week to see clients but your reimbursement rates go down while the other costs of doing business go up. So that's a big reason people have stopped taking insurance as well, is that the reimbursement rates just don't keep up, even with cost of living. 
you can go work somewhere else in an agency and your cost of living, you had a cost of living increase. So back to these practice owners, there were a couple of things that folks did as lots of folks saw the opportunity to jump into this space. And I am thrilled. I think group practice offers all kinds of benefits to clients for coordination of care, to practices because you know you have colleagues. Bottom line, practice owners saw a couple of things happening. One, harder to get reimbursement rates. Harder, they had to pay the people who were coming to work with them more money, they thought. And so many practice owners offered way more than they could sustain. And so now they're seeing they can't pay themselves. They can't keep up with their bills. And they've said, forget it. This makes no sense. By the time I get my insurance reimbursement, by the time I've paid everybody else, there's not enough for me. Back to our episode about crunching your numbers, making sure you make decisions by the numbers. So bottom line, folks, we're talking today about some of the trends that we've seen. We started our year that way. We're taking time right now to talk about it. You and I are both having the same issue, which is how do we make some decisions about bricks and mortar really quickly? There's a couple of issues with bricks and mortar. Landlords are now trying to make back money. So at least in the Chicagoland area, finding small spaces that therapists can pop into those spaces, you know, perhaps they had five small spaces that they would let 300 square foot spaces. They have demolished the walls in between. Now they want the big companies to come in. They don't like these little offices. It's harder for them to to sell and harder for them to make money. They've also gone to a, a different strategy of charging much more for bricks and mortar folks. So how do you find a good deal anymore? That's something to consider. We can do an episode, Chris and Deanna, at some point on that. How do you find a good real estate deal? What do you do about real estate? And then the last one is that Many buildings now have gone to a structure called triple net, which means the occupants pay every single bit of the building expenses. They are paying tax, they're paying for all expenses. So bricks and mortar, there's a lot to think about. We'll do an episode about that, folks. But bricks and mortar is important to consider because more people are wanting to come back. But how do you do it in a way that doesn't break the bank? And also... Another big trend is this self-funded insurance versus commercial plans. My number one suggestion, folks, is you need to make sure you can do a, a really deep dive check to know what kind of plan your client has, and it's not always on their insurance card. You will save yourself a lot of time and money. So that's what we have for today. Deanna and Chris, as always, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you. We will look forward to being with you next time. Be well. You've been listening to the Mental Health Business Mentor Podcast with Dr. Margot Jaco. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe so you don't miss an upcoming episode and head on over to the mentalhealthbusinessmentor.com website for resources and additional information. Thanks so much for listening and be well.